here with James Fair at Bournemouth University. So, James, thanks for coming on to Alien Places. Thank you for inviting me. And um, can you say a bit about what you do at Bournemouth University? Uh, so, certainly I'm a uh, programme leader for the BA Film Programme. Um, I have been a filmmaker for over 15 years and then came into academia really to sort of engage more with research and, uh, yeah, have ended up designing a, a programme that's for film in the 21st century, basically. Great. Okay. And uh, presumably you've been to lots of different places on filming locations. And... Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's lots of lots of the filming was sort of traveling, traveling the world. So lots of time in sort of Australia and North Africa, made quite a lot in Ireland, traveled all around Europe doing things. But that, um, yeah, that was part of the, part of the reason for stopping was that the traveling after a while is kind of a young man's game <laughs> and, uh, and just living out of a suitcase, just think actually I probably need to have some roots. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we're taking you on a journey again with alien places. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got an alien sidekick with you. Yeah. Um, you've thought of your three places without knowing where I chose, is that right? That's right, yeah. So received the, the, the kind of the question in the brief and went on, oh, I don't know how long, spent thinking about it on buses and, and walking around. But that, yeah, didn't deliberately didn't kind of engage too much with previous examples because I didn't want to sort of feel as if I was loaded, you know, in terms of what I was trying to achieve. Yeah, it's a potentially leading question if you know where other people have chosen. So, sure. so that's great. So that's kept it as a pure experiment, a pure thought experiment. Mm -hmm. um, so do you want to tell us the three places that you've chosen first, and then we can go into each of the three places? Sure. So my uh, thought process for all three was uh, different things. I chose uh, Birmingham uh, because I'd lived there for eight years. Uh, the Alps, but specifically Chamonix because of, of just spending lots of time there skiing and, and winter sports, etc. And I think that's an interesting dynamic place. And then my final one was uh, the Ubari Lakes in Libya. I thought actually about the Sahara in general, but then that's a, that is way too broad. There's, I mean, there's lots of different reasons why the Sahara is amazing, but I settled really on uh, the Ubari Lakes in particular because of my experience there. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with Birmingham then. So um, it wouldn't be the top of a lot of, a lot of people's sort of tourist list. <laughs> so um, so so why did you choose Birmingham for, for taking your alien? Well, that's, you're absolutely right. It wouldn't be the top of many people's list, but that's a great reason to do it, right? Yeah. That's a to choose somewhere else. So um, I actually used to live in Birmingham and was a couch surfing host. Wow. So I used to host people from all around the world who would come to Birmingham, either purposefully, which is quite rare or unusually, uh, or, or accidentally because they were on the way to somewhere else. I mean, it's an amazing hub for mm. people kind of either traveling up to Scotland or that it's near to the airport and they were flying somewhere else. So lots of people would kind of come in and then briefly be there before moving on somewhere else. And I used to show people around the city, literally okay. other aliens, you know, alien people <laughs> from elsewhere. And I used to do walking tours, just volunteered. I didn't, I just, just over the years of the history I'd learned and then I would, enjoy showing people around it and sort of explaining why I thought Birmingham was great. So you'd want an alien from another planet on one of your walking tours? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I, I think it's a great, for me, it's a great sort of city for explaining, um, well, not really just UK history, but the industrial history. Mm. And I mean, what I think is really interesting about Birmingham is it's this kind of, the joke there is that it will be great when it's finished. It's just never... It's never. It's just constantly evolving, but there's evidence all around the city of its heritage, and and I just imagined sort of this visualization of being able to kind of cut it in half, 
and then sort of show a cross section of the city and what that what that would be able to explain to the alien, you know, in terms of our own history and heritage. So, so do you mean in terms of the uh, a, bit, a bit like the geological layers um, in, in in the rocks? You know, you can cut Birmingham in half and then see first of all the, the canal and then the other layers. Yeah, yeah, for sure, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, I, would, I think the interesting thing about Birmingham, for example, is unlike other major UK cities, the river isn't a focal point. It runs underneath Birmingham, so the River Ray. Uh, doesn't it used to service sort of factories and etc so you know it was based around a medieval village building around a river the same as most towns have been but there over the years it became subterranean and uh whereas obviously you know sort of it's a focal point of the thames or or the mersey or you've got you know rivers tend to be the focal point of the city um but in birmingham it's under the city and no one would even be aware that it's there and then, then you've got the false artificial rivers in the, in as much as the, you know, that the canal is being built in order to transport uh, material around in the industrial revolution, but then rapidly trains overtaking that. Yeah. And then it becoming like the motor car epicenter of the country. So obviously Jaguar, Land Rover all built there. So they, they a massive road network which to this day still cuts through the city whereas most others have made a big pedestrianization move and that's where we um, hear about spaghetti junction for sure yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. well I mean, spaghetti junction is a really great example because spaghetti junction is obviously a massive myriad of 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 uh roads but that also the canal runs underneath it as well you know what visions of the alien getting lost on spaghetti junction yeah 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 well i think that's it's a great place to just kind of you know get lost in a way because it's it's uh, you know if, if you it's all around it is sort of interesting things that you would never really pay attention to it, you know it's all about moving through it and to somewhere else that so few people actually kind of stop there and actually go oh this is actually quite an interesting place it's kind of like a very you know uh, it's a, it's a, it's a hub to go to somewhere else you know like it, most people say it looks best in the rear view mirror kind of thing. But, <laughs> so it's almost uh, a, you're taking a, an alien to a place which is almost a non-place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, I just think, you know, it's a sort of, it's a, I wouldn't do it for its culture perhaps, but that its heritage and its history, it, I think is really fascinating, you know, because it's so evident within the four walls. I mean, uh, you know, I think what, another thing that's quite interesting is the way that it's been developed is that by walking around its architecture, this is also helped by the fact that the Luftwaffe took giant chunks of it out during the Second World War. Examples of war, for sure, right? But that, but then also now, what gets put in its place is also quite an interesting demonstration of ideology. So, massive redevelopment of the financial centre has sort of popped up right alongside, um, like the Midlands Eye Hospital or the uh, or the uh, the cathedral, you know, and then and the old the old banking buildings that were quite grand are now pubs and sort of chain bars but that the new uh the new banks are kind of very glass fronted uh sort of um monolithic structures and and it sort of explains i don't know like where they sat within society at the time so they were um showing architecture the development of architecture and, and what architecture says about the culture of the time exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah and i think it's just a very visual way of being able to i think demonstrate that stuff to someone who's come from an outside culture i've heard that birmingham is the largest unitary authority in the country and that can bring problems in itself i don't know if that was part of your thinking 
that's that is true i it wasn't part of my thinking actually i mean it's it's such it's such a strange place for that reason that it's a very multicultural place that it, and that it's got places of great wealth in places like Solihull, which is actually separate, but the uh, uh, you know, close now, the Edgebaston, and then places of really bad deprivation as well, uh, places like Nichols and um, and Sparkbrook. But that um, no, it didn't actually. I think I think actually one other thing that I thought was very interesting about it is that the idea of what who owns what space. Mm. So one of the biggest problems. I mean, I was there during what people call the London riots, but in actual fact, they ended in Birmingham that there's three people killed in Winston Green. And um, what was really interesting is that on the first night, people were looting the kind of the, the shops and the stores of the bullring, the shopping centre. And on the second night, the police waited for them and the rioters never came. They went out into the suburbs and started looting from other people. What's quite interesting is that the police were kind of protecting corporate property. And now the centre of Birmingham is actually... Uh, private land that's like it's owned by uh, the bullring itself is is owned by a kind of property company and so you know kids can't congregate there they don't own that space oh, okay. it's it's a shopping space mm. and uh you know, you, yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so you've got these landmarks like the selfridges building which is on like lots of different um sort of promotional material and looks quite alien of itself this kind of big pin cushion that's sort oh, maybe of maybe it. yeah exactly yeah that's it. but um but it's all private space and 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 I mean and this this is a very interesting kind of concept I think to try and you know explain who owns who owns property who what is public space and what is private space you know and that I think Birmingham I think is is a great example of selling away the sort of the family silver in order to um, in order to get reinvestment and you know it may backfire in years to come. Okay. Well, so lots of lessons from Birmingham then. So, yeah. um, so on to the second place then. So uh, can you tell us about the, the choices for the second place? So, uh, yeah, I thought a lot about sort of my favourite pastimes and one of them was is sort of uh, winter sports, skiing in particular. And I first went skiing in Chamonix and uh, I, I love it. I've only ever really skied in the French Alps and I, I think they're a beautiful part of the world. It's perhaps when I'm at my happiest. I'm not a great athlete but that i i'm a, I'm a very sort of um a, a leisurely skier who enjoys just kind of skiing around and, and, and enjoying the environments yeah. that i'm in and I, I mean one i haven't gone for a few years just because of financial and work commitments and things like that but that um it's becoming increasingly difficult to go because um there are more and more challenges to the actual winter sports in that region i mean for the last few years it hasn't been particularly good, what we call permafrost. So that 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 the snow hasn't, uh, you haven't had a seasonal freezing for which the new snow can actually land on in order for there to be a robust season. It, it misses all of that sort of long Arctic period, mm. and when snow does fall, it just goes down onto warm mountain face and doesn't stick. And so we've ended up in this really weird environment where people are sort of artificially creating snow in in a mountainous snowy region in order to in order to just sustain this expensive pastime and hobby that people have yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. that was one of the reasons why i'd love to take the alien it's like isn't this beautiful and isn't this also so crazy um uh, I, I i genuinely find that quite alien to be honest that that now my skiing experiences 
um, I find um, are increasingly about people kind of crushing to fewer and fewer resorts because lower down resorts haven't had the the, the correct sort of uh, snowfall, snowfall and, 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 and permafrost. And, uh, and and so that, again, drives more numbers into fewer spaces, which damages the... the you see the feedback. You know, it, get, it, damages it damages itself. Yeah. Exactly. So I really, really where you're going with this is, of course, the lesson about climate change for the alien. For sure, yeah. And I, I think, and, and, and a very visible... I mean, obviously, there's, 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 in, if you go to Chamonix, then there's the uh, Mont Blanc and the... And the uh, the glacier that comes off of Mont Blanc. So there's very visible examples of things that have, have in the past been far more substantial and are shrinking. But that I think what's more interesting is not so much this kind of, oh, look at this last loss of habitat, but also look at this really ludicrous way in which we're trying to manage this loss of habitat. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like it's the alien approach of just like taking water. I mean, a really valuable resource. I mean, this is not anything I've come up with this is quite contentious within France even right now you know sort of using huge amounts of water to effectively um, spray it onto mountainsides for very rich people to continue enjoying their water sports or their, their, their winter sports so it's a bit weird isn't it yeah it's, it's from an alien, alien perspective it, it's a bizarre scenario you know the alien might say why didn't you just reduce climate change instead <laughs> of carrying on with climate change and then fixing all these environments yeah, yeah, yeah. that you've damaged through climate change in a very sure. expensive way that only benefits a certain segment of society for sure yeah. fix climate change you can benefit places like that and the rest of society yeah 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 i mean it's just so it's just so strange and i mean um i i i really i really worry about it in terms of uh in long term uh what we're leaving behind for future generations and 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 I don't. I just don't think that it will be what it has been when I was a child. You know, I think that in mm. in sort of twenty thirty years, it probably won't be a winter sports destination. It will be. It will just be a, a mountainous place for walking, etc. You know, because the snowfall just pure and simply won't be there. Yeah, well, that's a great example of showing the alien the direct impacts on the humans of climate change as well. It's, this isn't some remote place where nobody would go anyway. Mm. You know, we're, we're not talking about the North Pole here. Mm. This is this is a, a ski resort yeah. where you know people have been in in recent in the very recent past enjoying the place, mm. and it's our own actions which are mm. preventing us from enjoying the place. Sure. Again, it's kind of that that self harm element of humanity. For sure, there's also something quite interesting about what would an alien make of people just strapping bits of wood to their feet and going really quickly down the mountain yeah, yeah. It, it, skiing in itself is quite weird <laughs> it's quite <laughs> well, strange it and it's like why are we doing this for this <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like fairground rides or, or yeah. uh, skydiving or bungee jumping why do humans enjoy going a bit faster than we can normally yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's alien in and of itself kind of. and uh, so your third place then james where would you take the alien for the final part of your tour um okay i thought long and hard about the sahara and my first thought was actually a place in Algeria called Ensala. And Ensala is uh, sort of halfway, really, between Algiers and Tamanrasset, which is right down deep in the, in, in the centre of Sahara, where there's a, a giant dune that is slowly making its way through the city. It's just a giant dune that blows forward about five metres a year. And it's just creep. It's It sort of swallows houses. And then, like tw about twenty-five years later, that same house will appear at the other side of the dune. It's just creeping away, right. which was a particularly weird place to visit. But in actual fact, the one I ended up thinking of, b b 
perhaps because it was the picture part, the postcard place. I mean, taking someone to a big sand dune is a bit weird. Uh, but the, I thought of the oases in the Ubari lakes, which are actually in Libya. And I, I went there, would have been 2008. Now, what was quite interesting about the Ubari lakes was that there was, uh, there was families all around them. There was those villages, they're now deserted villages. They were moved on by Gaddafi's army uh, because of the fact that it was going to be used as a tourist destination for um, basically four by four visitors. So it's not dissimilar to skiing. The, the French, German, British, uh, Europeans basically would, would fly into Libya and then they would drive around um, effectively a giant sandpit. And this would be their oasis moment. And so he just cleared a town of people out and just sort of said, this is now, you know, like a party place. So sort of sand buggies, basically. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or just, you know, four by fours, like Land Rovers, whatever else. But yeah, they're just dune bashing, just mm. matching around. And then, you know, there's a little space to go swimming in, a, in, in your kind of idyllic oasis. Mm. It's postcard stuff. Um, but then... And he had done that years ago, but that um, quite interestingly, he then adopted a process um, called the Man-Made Rivers Project. And it's not many people know about this. I mean, I know that Gaddafi is kind of crazy, but that uh, was crazy, but that he actually was involved in a, um, what he considered to be the eighth wonder, of, eighth wonder of the world, which was giant canals that went underneath the Sahara to draw water up to the Mediterranean seaboard. Um so up towards Tripoli and Benghazi, mm. um, you know, sort of giant, giant underwater canals that were at best only have like a lifespan of about 50 years. They, and he never, ever really truly completed this, but he did it enough to, to bring the water, uh, the water table down under the Sahara, which, of course, inflicted far more damage to the oases and the, and the farming that was there. I mean, some people argue that he was drawing it out from other countries as well, because, so, of course, you, you know, it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't honour borders. That's interesting, because there's obviously great potential for the kind of water walls and things like that. For sure, like, so like yeah. North, North, North Sudan, for example, borders Libya and, and, had, and had massive drought. Um, but then you've got Chad, Niger, and all of these other countries where you're effectively taking their water too. Mm. But that these, it, 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 in his own country, um, the Ubari lakes started to disappear. So there was one in particular that was in a, a town called Gabron, which was just a kind of, there was sand and then there was darker sand, but that there was no, there was no longer an oasis. And one, I just sort of, what an incredible place to take an alien anyway. One, this just giant desert is completely opposite from the, from the mountainous region. Mm. But two, um, again, the human impact upon what we're doing there. And, uh, and really, um, and just sort of trying to explain like, not only not only why is this an amazing habitat but how have we engaged with this habitat really mm. you know and i think that was my common theme throughout all three of the of, of, of the three places mm. um for very different reasons but that just sort of humans and environment as opposed to just just the environment itself you know yeah excellent yeah so that's uh three really really interesting places you've got the extremes of, of hot and cold there you've mm -hmm. got some you've got extremes also in terms of uh, the level of habitation those places mm -hmm. you've got the mm -hmm. densely populated Birmingham yeah. compared to the Alps and the, and the Sahara. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, is there any other kind of uh, common theme or or message that you'd want the alien to leave with after going on this on this field trip with you? Oh wow, well, I haven't thought about that. 
No, I don't. I, I think I think I would just be interested in really probably asking more of the alien. I think you know. I think we probably need to talk less and listen more. Really, just to I would be interested in sort of trying to understand what do they make of it. Yeah. You know, because I, I think it's such. It's got such an interesting internal logic to ourselves, but that I do think we've detached ourselves in many ways from the reality is that we're like our natural realities. Mm. That, that, I think what seems really logical to us, it would perhaps be completely alien to someone who didn't know all of its kind of previous yeah, context. That's, you know that's the true way of bringing an alien to us. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, by definition, they have probably developed to the point of having more technology, greater technology, than mm. the fact that they've been able to travel across space to visit Earth. Yeah. So they've, probably will learn to work together peacefully as a, as a species so maybe they've got some lessons for us there yeah. in terms of um continuing their technological development without blowing themselves up yeah yeah so, yeah. Uh, yeah amazing yeah thank you very much for giving me the challenge it was great fun to kind of engage with i really enjoyed it yeah great well james thanks very much thank you very much